My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, it's past my bedtime and I bet you a bunch of others. For newcomers, you know, after a while you start to get tired around 8 o'clock, so welcome to the NFL. Um, <laughs> thank our speakers. Uh, so good to see you, Nicoletta, and uh, thanks, Scott. And uh, I really got kind of hoodwinked into this. Uh, I, I, my wife and uh, our wives are getting together for some event, and, and Jimmy says, hey, listen, why don't you come up to uh, uh, Stepping Stones? The last time I was here was about 40 below zero, and there was no parking. Some things never change. And, uh, and uh, I flew from uh, Fort Lauderdale this morning. I don't know what's in the tank. I've been up since 2.30. I walked in here and got a pretzel with mustard. I mean, that's, you know, it's a good payoff. Um, <laughs> So I don't know what's in the tank, but Jimmy said, uh, why don't you join us uh, for this? And uh, quite frankly, I, I, I love living in Florida, uh, but I love to get up here um, and see some old friends uh, and, and see my, my friends. Uh, it's a treat uh, to be up here. Um, and I'm supposed to talk on step three, and I have no idea what God's going to feed me tonight. Uh, June 23rd, 1988, it was a loving God separated me from alcohol. I'm very grateful for this gift of sobriety. And um, very grateful, for, as I've said, from a million of these podiums, uh, more and more, the longer I'm sober and the older I'm getting, especially grateful for the, the many things not only God has given me, but has continued to remove from me. Uh, the narratives in the head that tell me what I'm supposed to have to be a better man, to be a better AA member, to be successful, what that looks like in my mind. And God has kept me at a very safe distance from all of that. And very often I left claw marks in many of those things, but he keeps pruning the tree. And I'm very grateful for that. One of the things I need to look at is how far into the forest do I really want to go? Am I really seeking complete transformation or am I just looking to get comfortable? Because what I want to do is just walk in a little bit into the forest and sum up the forest and say, I'm done. And God says, go all the way. And when I tell him I'll be lost and I don't know where to go when I get in the middle, he says, that's exactly where I need you. Because as long as if I have options, I don't really need that much God. And that's what God has done for me many, many times in uh, 34 plus years I'm sober. Very often uh, I've gotten to a corner and didn't know which way to go. I really didn't know should I go left, right, straight, or go back where I came from. And it's incredibly uncomfortable to be there. And the ego, the ego will fight every moment of that. The pride will jump right in on that. But at some point when I really know from my innermost self, I don't know where to go, and I ask God for help and help me in a complete prayer, and suddenly in that darkness, in my most vulnerable place, in my, what feels like my mo most weakest moment, is where I touch God's strength and power. As long as I think I'm running the show and I'm okay, I got it under control, I got spirituality, I've just lost it. I have God, I no longer have God. So I have found over and over and over again is the seeking is where I experience God, the chopping wood and carrying water. There is no destination. I learned that many, many years ago. My ego tells me we've arrived and we can put the car in neutral. And the soul says, keep moving. 
keep moving. I need to go all the way into the forest. I do have a home group. It's called Alcoholics in God. We meet Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, I'm there on Thursday nights, almost every Thursday night, and I do service at my home group. I learned many, many years ago. I can't just come and have a cup of coffee, sit in the back, and take. Beyond sponsorship, what am I giving back to AA? Because it feeds me still. So I need to be committed to a group, and I speak for myself, and do some sort of service, whether it's making coffee in the back, or setting up or breaking down, and other levels of service I need to be. That's one side of our rich uh, legacy. I do have a sponsor, his name is Bob Azam from St. Paul, Minnesota. And I sponsor about 10 men, and time is really tight. My wife sponsors about 15 women. Our house sounds like a phone room sometimes. <laughs> but it keeps us on the firing line of life, and I couldn't see it any other way. I don't have a life, it belongs to God. And if you knew that sounds terribly lame. But if you're around here a while, you get what I'm talking about. If I try to find my life, I will lose it. If I lose it for his sake, I find it. And with all the things that life throws at us, because life is unfair, it's problematic, we live in a world of impermanence, you know. Uh, I try to sit with a newcomer and say, get ready for the ride, because life is really unfair. I've been given a GPS to navigate through that on most days fairly light. I don't have to travel so heavy anymore. I just need to be careful. Then am I listening to God or the part of me that thinks it's God? And the longer I'm sober, that can get slippery when I start to get comfortable. I know the people. I know where the coffee is. I know the group. I know the speaking. The speakers know me. I'm important now. And I start to worship my mind that I think it's God and I'm not even aware of it until I hit the wall. <clears throat> so on June 23rd, 1988, I get to Alcoholics Anonymous after my seven treatment center. And like Nicoletta, I know it is to live on the streets and live in an abandoned building because that's where my alcoholism took me to in 1988. And you know, if you've been on the street for one night, it's too long and too painful. When you're out there for a while, it does things to you. Not only tears you up physically, but all hope is lost. As a man, I lost all self-respect. As a man doing the things I had to do for the price of a drink and sleeping in an abandoned building and knowing I have no place to lay my head and not showering and not eating, but for the price of a drink, I'll deal with it. And what's really frightening about alcoholism, for me, it stopped working. Alcohol wasn't even working. It was giving me a pulse, basically. There was no getting high, you know, and it was long gone. I need to drink to stop this. And it took what it took to get me to a place of getting surrendered in 1988. I just want to share about that last moment. I always, when I sit with newcomers, I always want to know, what was the thing that brought you here? Or brought you to treatment or detox? It's all an event. It's a moment. It's a day. Whether it's Park Avenue or Park Bay, it's something that happens where the pilot light gets turned. There's something that clicks. Is oh my God, this is it. I remember a newcomer telling me, he said, I'm tired. It was a great answer. So after six treatment centers and bouncing in and out of AA drunk, I never came to an AA meeting sober, by the way. But the few times I came in, AA be pinned up against the wall, drunk as a skunk, and people said, just keep coming back. They never threw me out. But it was uh, June 23rd, 1980. I had no clue it was the month of June, let alone June 23rd. I lost track of time and space. It was like, coming to when the t morning terror and madness were on me and I knew I needed a drink to settle the belly and stop the shaking and the nauseousness and all of it. 
And at this point, I know I need a shower because I reek and I haven't bathed in a while. And God knows what a really good meal tastes like. It's, it's the life. You're in the life. And I remember this day clearly. I got up off the floor, and it was as if somebody kicked me in the back of the knees because they buckled, and I go down on the floor, and I, I, I couldn't move. And it was like reality showed up. And what I've, I've experienced over the years, over and over and over again, that the truth will find me. You know, I can lie, cheat, and steal, and then the truth will find me. I can pretend I'm spiritual, I'm really not, and the truth will find me. It always does. And sometimes when the truth uh, finds me, it doesn't feel good. The ego gets crushed, but it's necessary to be free. And so I'm in this hallway, and I'm on the floor, and I begin to weep uncontrollably, and I can't stop the weeping. It was as if my life passed before my eyes. And I thought back to being 14 years old and having my first uh, Colt 45 uh, uh, quarter beer, and it was euphoric, and how did I get here? How did I get from that with all the promise of a musician? I was the kid in my block, and my neighborhood was going to make it out via music. There was lots of hope for me. I'm sure all of us have heard one point, one point in our life, you have so much potential. <laughs> and here I am, you know. I just hope I never get so well that I think I've become immune from the tactics of my illness. Because yeah. I learned over and over again that this thing that I have gets a life by devouring mine. And I remember the very same God that I had mocked and spat at and, and cursed and despised. I was never an atheist, certainly agnostic. The God I had mocked, spat at, and cursed and despised for taking my mom away from me when I was 14. She committed suicide and giving me this tough guy dad who I never got along with <clears throat> and turning me into what I was. I was a bum on the street. I looked at men who uh, were religious and I mocked them as weak and cowardly. I looked askance at many individuals who claimed to be godly. You know. In fact, God and religion was for women and children. Now, for men, it's a fake God. It's, you know, it's Walt Disney. It's baloney. Until I was out of reservations. I, I mean, I brought, was brought to this place. And uh, that very same God, I had begged for mercy. And I remember the words, clearly, please take me from this. I don't want to die. I've heard my sponsor, many men, say this. And it's very true. It's one phrase that says, we live life forward and understand it backwards. So I didn't understand at that moment, <clears throat> I didn't think about it. Well, I'm just begging God for mercy. Please take me from this. I don't want to die. Think about it now. I was turning my will and life over to the care of God in that moment of desperation. I'm not going to turn anything over to God if I'm not feeling desperate. Because I'm still driving and everything's okay. But I wasn't thinking on June 23rd, 1988, I need to go to detox. I need to go to treatment. I'll come to AA, do 90 and 90, and be Moses. I'll do a workshop, and I'll tell people how to do this, and I'm going to be rich and famous in AA. None of that, none of that was anywhere to be found. And I've thought about that many times, and I feel so blessed that God removed, kept me out of my own mind. 
as long as I'm out of my mind, I'm doing great. And he took me out of my mind for a moment. There was no thinking going on. There was no narrative. There was no planning. There was no uh, 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 ideas about what I need to, to get better. Because as long as if I was doing that on June 23rd, 1988, okay, Pete, this is what we need to do. I'm still running the show. I'm still in self-reliance. I still know what I need to do. Probably have a different speaker here tonight. It was reduced to this. Take me from this. I don't want to die. I wasn't thinking about where I was going to go. But I t will tell you this. In that moment, I would have done anything, anything to stop the pain. Not the physical pain. I was used to that. Getting arrested used to that. But something gets all of our attention, because I'm around long enough to hear the stories. It's the emotional thing that gets us in here. Whether it's Park Avenue or Park Bend, something in here hurts too much. Where I reach out and say, please, can you help me? There's no ego in that equation, that moment of desperation. And that was my first contact with this power, although it didn't feel godly, smell godly, look godly. It was God because it was a gift of desperation, a G-O-D. And in that moment, I reached out to this power and begged for help. With that kind of desperation, one of a drowning man, do I approach step three that way? Or am I doing it because it's fashionable and it's, it's popular? My sponsor does it. I want to get in good with them. I can have spiritual beliefs. I need to learn how to live them. I mean, even in my worst, I know right from wrong, but I don't have the power to live up to right. I only know wrong. It's un interesting because I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and again, I've heard enough stories. It's unbelievable how easily I will accept darkness stuff, negativity stuff, and in my old life, participate in it freely and give myself a strike for being a real man. And I come into recovery, and I'm still reluctant and suspicious and skeptical and doubtful about light. Oh, come on, it can't be that good. I had it all backwards. And I was placed in my seven treatment center. And that's when I got and realized, they told me, hey, you know, it's June 23rd. It's the first day of the rest of your life. Isn't this great? I'm thinking homicide and suicide at this point. It doesn't really feel that good, miss. But I had a good insurance, so they're really glad to see me. <laughs> I had no idea what I was about to embark on. I had no idea what was waiting for me. A lots of pruning the tree, a lot of uncomfortability, a lot of challenging, a lot of painful, a lot of loneliness, a lot of skepticism, a lot of doubt, and a whole lot of freedom. Because all the former came from me bumping against my own ego and an AA member or AA member just ripping it down. And the thing I've learned about this, once you hit the bottom where the ego gets deflated for a moment, I don't have to hit any more bottoms. That's it. That's what's required. When the ego gets grinded into dust for a moment, when there's no ego, even for a moment, there's no more bottoms to hit. But as one author beautifully says, we fall up. But alcoholism's not done with me, you know, because I have alcoholism, not wasm. Because I finally get into my seven treatment center and about 10 days, I don't remember that clearly, 10 days, whatever it was, 12 days, I'm getting thirsty and I'm thinking one more drink and I can, you know, I'm going through this detox. If I get a double in me, I just, I'll do detox better. <laughs> I can go to group and really participate, just taking the edge off because it wasn't done. My alcohols was not impressed because I, I beg God for help. It's not impressed now with the length of time I'm sober. It really isn't. 
to have the stage execution that hinges on my relationship with God. Our book says something like, until a psychic, entire psychic change has occurred, there's little hope for my recovery. It's a clear-cut warning. Get God or drink and die. Yeah. So I'm in my seven treatment center, and they sent me out to Minnesota for more treatment. I lived in Minnesota for about a year, and I started to hear a message, a message different than what I was, these ears were hearing. Now, I'm sure the message was out there, but what I was so used to doing, and I can do that in recovery, I have done that in recovery, is listen with my mind, or see with my mind, or speak with my mind, or act through the mind. And that's what I was so used to doing. So I'm sure there were people coming, the H&I folks coming into treatment, and some of those AA meetings that I showed up drunk, I'm sure many of them were speaking from this book about a methodology that can get me free. But as long as I'm hearing and seeing from the mind, it's always going to be wrong. Because my mind only lets in what it knows. That's all it's got, what it's comfortable with. And it's all it's capable of doing is before and later on, before and later on. That's all it's capable of doing. It doesn't get God. If it did, it doesn't want God. It doesn't want a spiritual message. It needs to cast it out. Because if it lets it in, it might die. But something happened when I was in Minnesota. Uh, I was taken to a meeting called the Three Legacies Meeting, and it was a Friday night meeting, a good 300 people. People were dressed impeccable at this meeting. And they talked about living in three sides of the triangle. And they talked about operating out of this book, which allowed us to operate out of the soul. See, once I'm operating out of the soul, I'm traveling light because the soul knows where to go. The soul knows what to say. The soul knows how to be. It knows what to do. It's perfect. It's divine. It's God. And how to get out of this head, which meant a crushing blow to me and my ego and the pride and the seven deadly sins that had to go. I had to get unhooked from me. I, I, I often laugh when folks say, I need to find myself. I need to discover myself. No, you don't. <laughs> because we need to be rid of self. Barnes and Noble has a self-help section. That's the last section I'm going into to give myself more ammunition to kill me. When it says no help to self in this corner, I'm going. <laughs> and I came back uh, to Brooklyn. Um, and I found my first appointed teacher there. And how I found a sponsor was what I was told to do. Before I asked someone show me a sponsor, no human power could relieve my alcoholism. I need to go to God. Everything goes through God. I must turn all things into the Father of Light. I wasn't even sure God was going to pay attention, but I remember praying, God, I need a teacher. I don't know who to ask. And I'm at a meeting one night at my first home group, the Free Spirit Group, and this guy got up there and sounded like the people in Minnesota, and the head didn't say, ask him, but something in the soul. It's interesting when the soul speaks to us. I mean, we hear it in language we can understand, but it isn't like a, the regular voice we're using to. It's almost a movement or a push or something that happens and says, call Joe. Go to the back room, get that newcomer. Ask that guy or that woman to be a sponsor. And I can't really define that. And as long as I can't define something, it's probably God. I don't know. And we began this journey, and I start to learn things about me and my alcoholism, which owned me, that I knew nothing about after seven treatment centers. For the longest time, 
I, I have alcoholism. Alcoholism owned me. I would say, I'm having all these thoughts. Well, that was the biggest lie I was telling myself for a long time, and my, my mind loved that. See, if I'm having thoughts, it's like if I went out and bought a shirt. I went to the mall and I bought a shirt. It's my shirt. I paid for it. I have a shirt. I just bought it. I get it home and I don't like it. I can exchange it. I can give it away. I can throw it out. I can do anything I want because it's my shirt. Suddenly, I find out I really can't do that with thoughts because I don't have thoughts. They really have me. And they lock in and they take me for a ride. And my mind gives me one thought, and it's a problem, and the mind says, I got a solution to that thought, and he gave me the first one, now I have two problems. <laughs> and down the rabbit hole I go, and I come into me and say, I'm all jammed up. But not once did that very same mind say, why don't you get on knees and surrender it all to God, you might get free. It doesn't tell me that. I need to run out of road in that gift of desperation. That type of movement that happened to me on June 23rd, 1988, although the fire is going to get off my back, the longer I'm sober, the need to find God must increase for me. When I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I remember, you know, we were in AA boot camp, and sobriety is my number one priority. Sobriety is my number one priority. And I would say that. I would mean it, but I knew it was the right thing to say because all the older guys were saying that. Sobriety is my number one priority, but the truth is true until we discover a new truth, yeah? The truth is true until we discover a new truth. I must tell you this, that conscious contact with God is my number one priority. Because when I have con conscious contact with God, not unconscious contact with God, I find myself sober another day. And what's really great about this is the isms that accompany alcoholism seem to go quiet. I'm not perfect with it. I'm alcoholic, which means I'm broken and flawed. I'm subject to breakdown at any moment. But the isms seem to get quiet, and I get another day sober, and not just dry sober, but awakened sober. And where I've currently been uh, uh, for a number of years now, my, my journey in here is to please God, seek God, experience God. Rather than, you know, getting up here and pontificating on how well I know the mechanics. I know a lot of cats who know mechanics and, and you can't have lunch with them. But what this book is supposed to do is bring me to a power that's keeping me sober all along and enjoy the freedom in that. I also found this, I, I was brought up with very, very, very rigid sponsors. I mean, really rigid sponsors. And thank God, because I needed that kind, I needed to be disciplined to a spiritual life, yeah? Because I was so undisciplined. And I thought about something, uh, uh, I would say my great-grand sponsor said to me one time, if I'm sitting home writing inventory after inventory after inventory, I'm still involved with me. A little too much. All I am is thinking about me. And I'm writing about me constantly. Where's freedom from this book? Where's freedom from this God when I'm bogged down writing up pages and pages and pages of inventory to prove I'm a good AA member? Maybe I missed something. I'm still seeking information rather than experience the transformation. I've been programmed by a program rather than set free by a program. And I fell under the delusion that as long as I write this perfect, I'm going to get me another day sober, as if I'm in charge of this. But who's keeping me sober while I'm writing? Who's keeping me sober while I'm sitting in a meeting? Who's keeping me sober when I have an argument with the spouse or I'm in the supermarket and, and it's going the lines too slow or just life? 
It's God. And that's what they're supposed to bring me to. So I get a sponsor. I begin a journey through this book. I remember getting to step three and taking a look at making the decision to turn my will and life over the care of God as I currently understand them. But it's a group of drunks or whatever God it is. The book, uh, my AA is not really interested in your deity. It's unbelievable how prophetic he was to stay out of that game. We would have been broken up a long time ago. What AA has taken to me is the very same God I grew up with, but a different set of conceptions and ideas about it. It's not that punishing God anymore. I'm the one who punishes me. God doesn't need to do that. And I got to this third step, but I, we've, we heard the speaker say tonight, you know, I, I need to be convinced into my innermost self, not from the mind. I've heard it's a the first three steps and conclusions in mind. That's not my experience. I mean, if it works for you, great, but it's not my experience. Anything my mind comes up with has a drink attached to it, Yeah. But deep down in here, I got what step one was talking about. I understood that my step two was a pointer out of this insanity. And I get to the step three, which means it can bring me great hope and great promise or it could be a big nightmare if I don't. I'm looking at a, a fork in the road. If I do this and follow through with the rest of the instructions, I might be uh, set free. And if I don't, I'm going to keep doing what I always did, which means I'm always going to get what I always got. Again, desperation can keep me walking. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with this God. And sometimes it's frightening as heck. In fact, it's so frightening that I don't know where I'm going, so I hold on to what I've known. Sometimes I, I've, I've done that in relationships. Well, what's going to happen if I do leave this person? That means I'm alone, so I stay in a really toxic relationship. I know that. I know how to maneuver around that. And I'm one of those guys who don't realize how much bondage I was in until I taste a little freedom. Then I look back and say, what was I thinking? That's the problem. I was thinking a lot. You know, can I stand before my creator in the raw? And say, take me like the wretch and sinner that I am. Can I tell my God I will live for you and die for you and really mean it? And when I pray, do I get clear as to who I'm praying to? Or am I just blowing it out to get out of the way? Because I can look like I'm praying, I can sound like I'm praying, but when I get up, I don't look very prayerful. I go from Moses to Rambo. Am I still angry? Am I still restless? Am I still discontented? Meanwhile, I'm telling you how much I pray and how much I know about this book. Where's the transformation? Am I traveling light? Was everything an issue? I need to prove myself to you that I'm worthy. And what we do is I, I wrap myself up in money, property, and prestige. AA cred. I'm a speaker. I'm a this. I'm a, I wrap myself in, in all these things. To prove to myself I actually exist. And further, you recognize me for something. And when it's all said and done, I realize I'm still empty and I still have nothing. And none of that worked. And over and over and over again, my loving God has shown to me the less of me, the more of him. I remember writing down what my conceptions of God were, my old conceptions of God, what my current conception of God was. And if I, if I had to look into the future, what would this God look like? And it kind of gave me some parameters. It, it made it more real. 
The other thing my sponsor, my first sponsor had me do, and, and Mark H., when he was my sponsor, had me do the same thing. He says, right out the third step prayers, it appears in the big book. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me that will. And wrote out the whole third step prayer. Then he says, write out what you think that prayer is saying to you in your own language. So when I kneeled uh, down with my spouse, both of us got on knees and held hands, and we did the third step prayer together, although I'm reading out of the book, and it's a beautiful prayer. The book says the wording was, of course, quite optional, as long as I expressed it with, with, with some intent. What's my intent when I pray all the time? Do I really mean it? And so I wrote it out, what it means to me. So I'm sitting with my sponsor, and it had some depth and weight. It was my third step prayer, because I'm talking to my God, if you will. It wasn't just words on a page, and I'm going through the motions. Because my experience has shown me God's not interested in the words, but my intent. And no matter how hard I pray, I can't change God's mind. I can't convince God that I'm right and maybe he should look at things differently. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I've been impressed so many times seeking control in prayer. The most sacred moment of my day, I'm still seeking control about the outcome. And if I get the outcome I want, God really loves me and he does exist. But I'm going into prayer to be changed by this power to position myself to be changed. And for me, what the words are in a prayer nowadays is just a centering. Even my sacred Lord's prayers, beautiful that prayer is, it's a centering as to who I'm talking to and what I'm supposed to be doing. And it gets me right-sized to get up off bended knees and go out there. And I never do this perfect, but at least chop wood and carry water for his glory and no one else's. I need to be popular in AA. God doesn't see popularity. God just sees kids. That's my walk. And so I, met, I did the third step prayer at my sponsor. And again, AA boot camp, how do you do a third step? Follow four through nine. Well, that's true. Our book says uh, that it can have a permanent effect. It won't, won't have a permanent effect unless once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in me that are blocking me from God. That's one part of it. What else am I doing? Am I willing to play by someone else's rules? This fly must be a Red Sox fan because it's not leaving me alone. <laughs> Am I willing to? I wouldn't say Phillies fan because I'm in your town. I don't want to get beat up. Um, am I willing to play by rules other than my own? Am I in a place? Because it says we thought well before taking this decision, making this decision. Am I really, really at a gut level saying my life is none of my business? Now my ego is going to jump all over that. That the outcome is none of my business. I want it to be my business. I want to peek around the corner and see what's happening. And I do this third step and follow with four through nine. And somewhere in there, my book promises me I will have a Immersion, integration, a oneness with God, not a two-ness or a separateness. There's not God and, there's just God, and I'm in that. Because his center is everywhere and there's no circumference. And I get to experience that. Again, I want to really emphasize, I do none of this perfect. And that's really cool with God, it's okay. It's just a need for God and more God and experience more of that and then pass it on. 
and experience the freedom our book is talking about. My ego wants to be in a results business. I, I'll share a quick story with you. Um, I heard from my priest about being in the results business. I, I heard the third step to this whole thing. My life is none of my business. I surrender everything. My thinking and my actions belong to God. Because if I look at my track record of me running the show, it's never worked out well. And I can come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I want to do the big book because it's fashionable. So I hang out with those folks. But there's no real surrender in it. Or I can hang out with knuckleheads who go to casinos and brothels because that's cool and I want to do that. 14 guys says, what's wrong with that? Anyway. <laughs> and so I just, I'm still looking to pick and choose what I think is okay for me. So I, hung out, I hang out what I think the majority is. Then I got to take a look at who's this majority I'm hanging out with. And aren't I still picking and choosing what I think I need? And as frightening as it is, what step three says to me is, it's none of your business where I'm going. Because somewhere in this work I've learned, and this is personal experience, I'm no longer ill at ease with my origin, what I was. And I'm not at ill at ease with my destination. Where am I going? You know where I'm going? Right here. She talked about it tonight. Where are you going? Right here. Because I have no guarantee I'm supposed to fly home Sunday morning and God willing I will get back home and enjoy a beautiful Sunday afternoon with my wife. But there's no guarantees that's going to happen. Or what's going to happen an hour from now. But I just take it for granted. There's a big thing about planning and then just assuming. And the story is there was this, 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 this man who was just laying on his couch day in and day out, day after day after day after day. His life was going nowhere. He was rudderless. And one day he woke up and the Lord was standing in front of him. And the Lord says, what are you doing? My God's from Brooklyn. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> and uh, the guy drops to his knees and the Lord says to me, he says, I need to help you. He says, tomorrow morning, I'm going to put a big boulder in front of your doorway and I want you to wake up bright and early and push the rock, push the boulder. And sure as anything, the next morning a guy wakes up and he remembers, opens up the door, and there it is. He laces up and goes out, and there's this huge boulder in front of his door. He starts pushing, follows what God told him, pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, sun up to sundown. Does this every single day for like 90 days. And on the 91st day, Satan shows up and says, what are you doing? He says, well, the Lord told me to push this rock. He said, you're going to listen to the Lord? What's wrong with you? God's a, a cruel jokester. Go back on the couch. You're better off. He says, you know what? You're right. And the next day, the Lord shows up and says, what are you doing? He says, Lord, not for anything. You told me to push this boulder. I've been pushing it for 90 days. And it hasn't gone one inch. It hasn't moved an inch. After 90 days, it hasn't moved an inch. And the Lord replies to him. He says, I told you to push the boulder. I didn't tell you to move the boulder. That's my job. And that's how it is with my life. I want to push it and move it in the direction I want. I want to push my life this way and get the results I want. It just doesn't work that way. God's not allowing it that way. And what God told this man was, for the last 90 days, you have purpose and direction. You're up early. You're sleeping better. You're even in shape. And you're talking to me all day long. You came home without even knowing it. 
I need to let go of the results, but the mind wants to control. If I'm not willing to surrender everything, willingness to surrender, it doesn't mean I'm going to become a monk because I do the third step prayer, but a willingness to turn everything to this God and back off of my life because I've destroyed it. And I infect people when I do that too, drunk and sober. Am I willing to do that? Am I showing up to the Lord and a sponsor? I'm willing to let go. I don't even know what this God is, but I'm willing to believe in a, a group of drunks for good early direction. It isn't what I'm believing in, but it's the willingness to believe in something other than me or whiskey that's the victory I get a new guy sitting in front of me I'm having a problem with God why do you come to AA because they keep me sober that's your higher power are you willing to turn everything over to AA yes we're on our way it's the mustard seed of willingness that creates great change what a mustard seed of belief tell the mountain to move the mountain will move but the mind says oh come on let's get real like my reality is reality and God isn't. I remember reading something. Um, how do you know God kept you sober? He, the guy says, the only one I asked was God. I seem to be sober. How does third step meet me now? I like to go to the steps every year. I've been doing that forever. I always let, take a look at bedevilments. I always like to see where I'm at, gauge where I'm at with the devil. I do all this stuff before prayer, I mean after prayer. <coughs> about, I, I, I want to say June-ish, um, <clears throat> I was about to move to Tampa for business. I don't want to go to Tampa. But I need to earn a living, trying to save my company. There's a lot of moving parts. And I got an offer to go to Tampa, which just kind of got chiseled down to the end, and it wasn't so what they promised to be. And I had somebody in, in, in where I live in South Florida wanting me to stay there. And my wife and I, and I'm not exaggerating, from hour to hour, we're going to Tampa. No, we're not going to Tampa. We're staying home. We're going to no, we're not. And okay, I think I'm sure we're going to Tampa. We're gonna we start looking for proper a place to live. I remember calling Jimmy. Jimmy, I'm moving to Tampa. And okay, and then Jimmy, I'm not going to Tampa. And and this was what we're doing. And we went up to Tampa twice, and we're looking at places to live, and we're trying to look at the bright side of stuff. And we're going back and forth and back and forth. I want the results. I want to look six months into this new contract, where I'm going to be living, how it's going to feel, what it's going to, all of it. And God wouldn't allow that. What God wanted was a surrender. And one day I got up off my knees uh, after meditation and prayer. And about 10 minutes, I'm up really early in the morning. I like it that way. Um, sometimes I'm up at 4 a.m. and I pray and meditate. And there's someone, I think his name is Rumi, says, uh, the morning breeze has secrets to tell you. God likes to talk to us in our quiet time, no distractions. And I finished prayer meditation. I'm just going about doing some chores in the house for Marion before she awakens. And, you know, when God shows up, God shows up. He doesn't speak to this. It's just something in here. And was going back and forth, and it just was crystal clear when there's no distractions. And the third step prayer says, relieve me of the bonds of yourself. Relieve me of my distractions. And I nudged Mary and I woke her up. I, it, something just came to me because we share our prayers and meditations. Do nothing. Do nothing. God will bring it to us. 
I left no room for God. Going, not going, going, not going. I'll figure this out. Write more inventory, you know. Uh, and I'm using a paper, and I'm still stuck. Beautiful fourth columns and gorgeous third columns. And I'm going nowhere with this. Do nothing. I was married, just let it come to us. And you know what happened? I started to hear a little bit different what I was being told by some folks. I was starting to see some different actions. And I started to hear what was being given to me right in good old Boca Raton. And the answer was there. In fact, they went way beyond what I was even negotiating with. Because that's what God does. Always goes beyond. I want to go this far. goes, no, I'm going to give you all of it. But just come home to me. I did nothing. I just gave up. I'm done. It'll just come to us and left a whole lot of room for God. What does step three look like, you know, as we're going through our day currently? We can talk about mechanics, and they're important. They're vital. But what does it look like going live? How does step three meet me with five or 10 or 15 years sober? How does step three meet me when I'm on my knees praying and meditating? Or maybe I'm at work. I don't get along with a coworker. I'm having marital problems. I'm having work from financial problems. What does that really look like? Do I speak God, but I live as if there's no God? Again, I would love to report to you I do all this perfect, but I don't. But I'm broken and flawed as God made it. There was a time where I thought, as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I can't be broken and flawed. I'm in AA. I have to be smooth and glossy all the time. What tremendous freedom, what great liberation in coming to terms at a gut level that I'm broken and flawed. Isn't that fabulous? I don't need to be perfect. I belong to AA. That should be a hint. I'm not perfect. <laughs> but what tremendous freedom. Because what we get to do, what I get to do, is share my brokenness with another drunk. And you say, yeah, me too. We, we, we get a solution in here, how to fix stuff and how to get free and how to experience God and truly turn my will and life over to care of God, how to do a meditation, how to work with prayer, how to navigate through life. The other 23 hours when I'm not in here for the hour. So I get to do that once I get up off my knees and go out there to have healthy relationships and get rid of toxic ones and be okay with that. And my time doesn't belong to me. There's another thing, you know, uh, I'm getting, I, I feel like I'm getting old sometimes. This thing that gets me, there's a lot more road behind me than in front of me. I hate to admit it, but it's just true. And sometimes, you know, I'm bogged down with a bunch of sponsees calling, and I got to finish that and then get ready because a meeting to get to, a home group to get to. And the head says, well, when are we going to get time? And Marion's on the phone with her sponsees. We're going to a group, to a home group. When are we going to get time? This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Because it's unbelievable when I do that, I can go to the worst diner with the worst cup of coffee and the worst food and the worst service and a place that's outdated. And when it's all done on a ride home, what a great night. Let's do it again. <laughs> Rather than complaining because my destination is here and now. So uh, I turn my will in life by doing this third step. Yeah? And I've done them with my sponsors. We held hands. 
I remember the first time I did a third step was in uh, my sponsor, uh, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, where the only climate for members there is a pinky ring, sunglasses, and gold jewelry. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I went to his house, and he was a rough character. And I don't know what third step. I never did a third step before, you know. And I'm green, I'm new. And uh, I came with my assignment on, you know, writing the third step prayer out word for word and my interpretation of it. And I'm about to do this third step. And, you know, I had AA saying, don't do a fourth step. It's not good. Other people saying, get into the fourth step sooner than later. I don't know. I have no clue. And I get to Tony's house and I ring the bell. He invites me up. He's on the second floor. And I walk in and the lights are dimly lit. There's a lot of candles going on. I say, okay, what am I getting into? And we get into this little room, and uh, he says, let's get on our knees and hold hands. And I'm like, okay, hold time out. <laughs> Where's this going? And um, of course, I'm exaggerating. And uh, we got on our knees and held hands. I'm petrified. He knew the third step prayer. And you know when you knew and your sponsor just got it off of myself, and you're kind of stumbling along, you're screwing up the words, and I think he's going to throw me out of my bed, AA. And he just guided me through, and I did it with the third step prayer. And we got up off our knees, and he sat me down at his table, opened up the book to it, says, next, which is the next talk. Just a couple of things I want to read, and i got to get out of here, because I don't want to go over in um, our third step, actually be before the prayer. It says this. This is the how and why of it. First, I had to quit playing God. What areas of my life am I currently playing God? The ego loves it. How can I move forward if I don't want to quit playing God? Little things, like I wake up in the morning, I know what the day's going to look like. They're going to do this, and I'm going to do that. I went to a first step meeting, and the speaker didn't even cover step one. Oh, my God. <laughs> they can't come back here anymore. And I critique everybody in the room, and that kind of stuff. I'm playing God. What do I know? You ever notice you sit in a meeting, the speaker said they're not that good, and a newcomer goes up and goes, oh, my God, thank you for that talk tonight. It wasn't your night. It was for the newcomer. I'd have quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, I decided hereafter in this drama of life, God's going to be my director. He's the boss. He's the principal. I'm his agent. I work for God because that's what an agent does. He works for the principal. Also, I'm about to represent God. What an order. That's what my book is telling me. I'm not saying that. That at some point, I'm going to go out representing God. I'm marketing for God. How am I doing? Most good ideas are simple. And this concept or idea was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch to which I passed to freedom. When I take this position, remarkable things follow to have a new boss. He's going to provide me with what I need if I keep close to him and perform his work well. A couple of things there. How do I perform God's work well when I'm just new and doing a third step? How do I perform God's work right now? Be of service. Not only an Alcoholics Anonymous, make coffee, set up, take a service commitment, but out there, because those are God's kids too, like feeding a homeless person. When I got a pocket full of money, a $5 bill is not going to break my back. Or going to the diner and seeing some very old person nursing a cup of coffee. Uh, I go to a meeting called the 12-step house, and there's this diner we go to afterwards, and there's this really, really old, broken-down couple, and they're both having a cup of coffee, and it kills me when I see this, because it could be me. 
and that their clothes are tattered and bless the restaurant they don't throw them out and I only say this to share to, to brag about God three times I went to the waitress and quietly says bring them a couple of burgers bring them some food and I gave her my credit card just don't tell them what it is because God's going to provide for me as well Am I representing God in AA but not out there? For me, I must call myself a hypocrite then. I don't need to get close to keep close to God. I hear this a lot. You got to get close to get to be close. There's no proximity with us with God. What I woke up to was had the nearness of my creator. My own big book tells me that the nearness of my creator. There's no distance. It feels like there's separation from God. And then I wake up and go, oh, my God, he's been with me all the time. God loved me just as much as he does now when I was in an abandoned building. I don't have to perform good deeds to experience God's love. I don't need to, to do good things to get God's love. God loves me just the way I am in my brokenness. I don't need to get close, do some work so I can get close to God. I, the work allows me to wake up to, oh my God, it's God all the time. I become less and less interested in my little plans and designs. You know, before I do this work, everything I came up with was paramount. These are big plans I got. And the books, you know, they're very little plans. <laughs> You're not that important. If you don't show up at home group, it'll be fine. And there's a few people there I wish I wouldn't show up. Um, more and more I became interested in what I can contribute to life. As I felt new power flow in, thank you, God, because our book told us in a previous chapter I'm out of power. So once I'm out of power, I start to experience this other power called God. It starts to flow in. And the cool thing is into me and then out to you. And it's just a flowing. And I don't have to do much about this. It's a surrender, it's a surrender, it's a surrender. I could face life successfully. I become conscious, I'm awake to God's presence and I lose my fear today, tomorrow, hereafter. I'm reborn in spirit. Something says, unless a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Born in spirit. I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid of yesterday. I said that earlier, I'm not afraid of tomorrow. I'm right here. Peace of mind is not because I have positive affirmations or right thinking, but what the book is promising me is I'm going to begin to operate out of the soul, which is still an okay. And that starts to work itself up to here. And although it feels like I'm thinking it's coming from the God, it's coming from the soul, so everything's okay. When I try to get my hands on my life again, which we'll talk about tomorrow, when I start to think about the outcome and I get nervous, here comes struggle, here comes disease and discomfort, here comes fear. I'm not, I don't have peace of mind again because my mind's running the show again. As long as I'm out of my mind, I'm doing great. When I'm in my mind, I struggle and I don't do so good. I'm over time, that's all I got, thanks.